Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Study Break. My name is Melody, and I'm here with actor and singer Will Dow. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So, you've been in multiple theater productions and even some television shows, I believe, like reality competition shows. Oh, gosh. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I do. A long time. <laughs> Um, but one of the first um, productions that I watched was Viet Gone. So this is a show written by Queen Nguyen, and it's directed by Tim Dang. And you play the role of Nan Kui, an Asian guy and an American guy. Yes, so, exactly. <laughs> um, the synopsis is that it's set in 1975, and it's after the fall of Saigon. And it's the play is telling a story of two Vietnamese refugees who met in an Arkansas relocation camp before setting out on a rip roaring road trip across America. So Kui is, a, you know, he's a fascinating person, um, uh, and he grew up, you know, wanting to to uh, noticing that you know there's there wasn't much um, about the other perspective when it comes to the Vietnam War. Um, so he really wanted to focus the story more on, you know, the immigrant story. So often when we talk about the Vietnam War, it's, it's about like the American soldiers and everything that happened to them, but he really wanted to focus on the, the Vietnamese who were affected. So it's not only an immigration story, he wants to stress this, like Viet Gong is really a love story <laughs> and it's all based on fact. Um, it's, it's based on his real family's, um, uh, experience, uh, coming after or during the, the war to the United States and what happens uh, when his parents first met. Um, and it's actually part one of, I think he's aiming for four or five um, stories that document um, kind of the different family members and how they've, you know, their experience here in America. So there's actually a part that came out actually, um, it, it premiered at South Coast Rep um, called Poor Yellow Rednecks. <laughs> so whereas part one, it really focused on, you know, mostly, you know, uh, more of the, the dad, uh, Quang's character. So it's very fascinating. And I, I should say that, you know, when I, I did a live recording um, through LA Theatre Works, um, but I did actually perform in a stage production at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival um, in, in 2016. Um, and that production was directed by Maya Drales. Um, and both were, you know, very different and very unique, but awesome experiences. <laughs> what was like the major difference between the two, apart from one being a recording and the other being like an actual show? Yeah. So the main difference, I believe, is we're doing the full production at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. It was a lengthier process um, because it was fully staged. We had all the costume, all the tech. Um, and we had two months of rehearsal and, uh, I want to say like, uh, five, oh, actually we ran a long time. I think it was like March through, um, the end of October. So however long that was, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so it was a nice run. And then actually that production went transferred to a Seattle repertory theater where we had another like two month run. So it, it was a nice a journey with the cast where we, you know, we really bonded as, as a family. Um, and, you know, that's one of those experiences that you, 
wish and hope and pray every experience is like <laughs> because it was so <laughs> united and beautiful. And those who don't know what LA Theater Works is, it's basically kind of like the audible for theater recordings. Um, and it's in front of a live audience, which makes it very, you know, <laughs> thank God for the theater training, but you're basically, you know, standing in front of mics, uh, um, performing the text in front of a live audience and they, they capture the performance and they will release it at a later date um, as something that anyone can download um, off their website to listen to. Awesome. Yeah. So with Viet Gone, it's mostly a Vietnamese story. And do you connect with the story in any way? Like how does this character or these characters that you play reflect to your own life? Oh, 100%. Um, I mean, we come from the same family. So, you know, yeah. you, you, you know that <laughs> our family um, is Chinese, but from Vietnam and also, you know, fled the country uh, because of the war. Um, uh, our family was part of the boat people, um, exodus later on after the war, our family left around 79. And, uh, so just that kind of migration story is, is something that I connected deeply to. Um, and just in general, you know, I feel like, uh, so much of what we see in popular media or even on stage still to this day doesn't really capture the Asian American experience uh, mm -hmm. quite like this. Um, what I love about Kui's writing, especially in Viet Gone, is that it's so um, contemporary. Um, you know, it's it brings history to the modern day. Um, it's super accessible, especially to younger audiences. You know, there's a, there's a rapping, there's a, believe it or not, there's ninja fighting. <laughs> there's, you know, oh. a lot of, a lot of cursing and swear. It's, mm -hmm. it's so energetic and vibrant and, and, you know, kinetic, even in just the language. And so, you know, I feel like it's just so real and raw. And that's something that we don't often see portrayed um, or, um, material like that isn't often readily available for Asian American actors. So that also was like a huge draw. Um, the characters themselves are super relatable. Um, you know, everything they're going through, you know, it, it's about finding love in the most difficult of situations. Um, and love is like the broad meaning of love. It's, it's romantic love. It's brotherly love. It's love that you have for, for your family. Um, so on that level, you know, it, it, it's definitely something I connected to um, as well. Yeah. And speaking of brotherly love. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you have nine brothers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and, you know. I'm genuinely surprised Guinness World Records didn't say anything. I know. Like... I don't know what's up with that. They, uh, I did apply one year and told them our, you know, this is one family, 10 boys, no girls. Uh, and, uh, I should say 10 male identifying individuals and, and no female identifying individuals. Uh, but they, they, you know, didn't care. <laughs> I guess. They were like, there's no category for that or something like that. Whatever. It's okay. We'll just be proud of it by ourselves. <laughs> exactly. 
But anyways, were you like a part of the whole like immigration process or you were you born in America? Yeah, so I was actually the first one born in the States. Got a chance for better or for worse to experience their the actual like um, mm-hmm. journey to the United States um, from, you know, finding someone that would get us on the, get our family out on the boat to just kind of like figuring out how to transport so many people. Like in, in addition to our immediate family, we need nine children, you know, two parents, uncles, you know, we were going to get out like, you know, the grandmothers, the aunts, the uncles, cousins, like it was a huge ordeal. And it took, I think, I want to say like four tries to even successfully escape on, on a, a, a this tiny fishing boat. Um, mm-hmm. After which point they had to like, I think they were detained in um, like in a, in a Hong Kong camp for a while. And after that, that's like uh, that they, they were waiting for, I guess. Um, uh, actually, I should say number one was not with them. Number one, was in the in the states already helping with the uh, sponsorship process i believe um so oh. he was here with with um i think our aunt um and they were the ones who helped us get sponsored to come over to the united states um oh. and if you time it i am exactly i was born after they arrived to the united states so. oh oh <laughs> the wow. celebration baby <laughs> <laughs> kind of gross to say that on your podcast but <laughs> okay, i'm sure we all <laughs> but i'm throwing a little bit of science and in, into your your podcast not just entertainment <laughs> just kidding anyway human anatomy <laughs> next topic <laughs> anyways moving on so i just wanted to praise Viet Gong for a second because when i was watching the recording the live recording of it i was so fascinated by the music especially but also the way that it's really told from a vietnamese perspective mm-hmm. so like when they say like an american guy came up to like a vietnamese refugee you couldn't understand what the american person was saying because it's like they're the ones who are supposed to be speaking in vietnamese yeah. right so it's where you know so often you watch these movies where they're trying to like talk to a a character who doesn't speak english so they just you know they're speaking gibberish basically (laughs) and so kui took that and and flipped it on its head where it's like you know the you the audience understand the uh the vietnamese character completely but then the american character in like broken english (laughs) As if they were trying to speak Vietnamese. So so I love that. It's it's hilarious and, and so genius. Yeah, I thought that was so clever. I was like, when I was watching it at first, I didn't really understand it. But like as the play went on, or as the production went on, I was like, wow, that's like actually so creative. Right, right. And it, it kind of shows just how like ignorant people are when they do that, you know? And in a in a strange way, I hope that actually, you know, I feel like um, elicits empathy and sympathy to 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 folks who are going through that, you know, who are new immigrants to this country and whose first language is not English, you know, 
Um, mm-hmm. Speaking louder does not help someone understand you better, you know? <laughs> and it's as much upon you to communicate properly to the other as it is, you know, um, uh, their responsibility to, you know, try to understand you. You know, it's a mutual connection. <laughs> and this kind of assumption that English, you know, everyone should just speak English and, and knows English, you know, <laughs> that in, it, yeah. in and of itself is a little problematic. It is, it is, yeah. Yeah, what, what else did um, you enjoy about the production or stood out for you as, a, as an audience member? Well, because I was like part of the live audience, I got to see some of the visuals yeah. on the screen. And I thought that was actually, it just like added on so much to the production itself. Like the actors and um, yeah, the actors, they all had like really nice voices. Like in your voice too, it was so powerful. And like, you could just like feel how they want you to feel. Right. And like- about it it's just like so amazing like it, it made me feel more like empathize with Kui's family since it is about his family and like I don't know I just like started thinking more about like my own background and like really connected it to the whole Vietnamese culture mm-hmm. that I wasn't that familiar with. right right and that's great like you know what I love about theater is that, you know, oftentimes you go in and whether or not you're part of the demographic that's portrayed on stage, hopefully it does open that door for you to walk through and, uh, you know, understand and try to understand another experience better, you know, one, especially one that's not your own. Um, that That's the power of art and theater. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, funny thing is, um, before we went in and sat down, there was this professor who actually came up to talk to me. Uh, she she was not Vietnamese, and she just she just walked up to me and started talking to me. And I was like, okay, like low key stranger danger, <laughs> but like it's okay. <laughs> um, and I started talking to her, and she told me she's a professor from Washington D.C. I think. And then um, she was saying that she really wanted to learn about the Vietnamese culture because she had a friend who was um, someone who like helped the Vietnamese refugees get to America. And she's teaching this class about um, the Vietnam War, but from a Vietnamese perspective, and she's using this play as a source. And when I first heard that, like, I was like, whoa, like, that's so cool, you know, because I never really understood the power of theater until that point. And a month ago, in my English class, too, we started reading M. Butterfly by David Henry Huang. And, you know, just like everything about it, I never realized how deep it was until I actually, like, read it and saw it and learned more right, about right. it. Yeah. Um, the, it's it's true. I mean, it offers kind of like a, you know, obviously theater can serve many, many functions. Um, Some people see it as kind of like a a moment of respite where they can go and sit down. But others, other times, you know, so often we go to theater because we want to learn. We want to feel a connection to, to other humans. And it's so unfortunate that, you know, during this time, we, we, we can't 
congregate in public spaces, you know, um, because there's something magical about being in a room with a bunch of strangers where you're all there, um, you know, collectively breathing together and experiencing this thing on the stage together. Even the actors are there, you know, with the audience in real time, you know, so you, so it, so you're, you're, you're captively experiencing this, this journey um, as one unit. But yeah, the, the, the power of good theater, I should say, you know, I think Viet Gone and, and Butterfly definitely fall under that category. I always say, you know, that's going to be the case. <laughs> that that, that the, <laughs> something out of it. But, but I agree, you know, those two works are, are so powerful. Um, I did M. Butterfly my sophomore year in college. <laughs> so that was a long time ago, but I do remember it being, you know, David Henry Huang is like a, a pioneer of, of the Asian American theater movement. Um, and this play really put him and really the, the, the Asian American theater community on the map, you know, uh, it, was I think it came out in around 1988 um won a bunch of Tonys uh you know it was super uh visceral Matt that falls in love with a an opera singer you know um who he thinks is this beautiful woman but turns out to be like a biological male um and you know the implications behind that like how can someone so blindly partner of 20 plus years is was actually a woman you know is that because he was tricked or is it because it was you know what he wanted to see um so i do love mm -hmm. you know the whole play on power and you know exotification yeah that was great i definitely agree with what you said like definitely exotification amongst asians and just really portraying that cultural difference between Europeans and Asians. And I feel like, I don't know, when I was reading that play, it just resonated with me because I'm an Asian American. So um, growing up in America, I have such a different mindset than someone in China would traditionally have. But because of my physical appearance, you know, I can never technically be classified as a true American mm. and something about that is just it's crazy because you think like once you're born in America you're an American but in reality like people won't view you as an American right. yeah I think there was a recent op-ed that the actor John Cho had written um and this is right around the the the, the beginning of coronavirus where a lot of people um, in America, we're targeting um, Asian, Asian Americans who live in America, um, blaming them for the, the start of the coronavirus. Um, and, you know, one thing that stood out from what he said, he was basically like, you know, being for Asians, Asian Americans, being American is conditional. Like, you know, it's basically we're never kind of guaranteed the same um, authenticity as as our white counterparts have and will continue to to you know to um, benefit from, our Americanness can like change on a dime, you know, <laughs> depending on what the situation is. Like you you go back in Asian American history, um, and 
you know, you see, like, it's crazy how history repeats itself and how often, you know, at one, at one point, Chinese Americans or Asian Americans are kind of, you know, seen as this hardworking, um, major contribution contributors to to society but then at the next it's like oh you know these people are taking away our jobs let's kick them all out of the country let's actually create yeah. exclusion laws that bar them from coming you know like um and that this this kind of like crazy cycle just repeats and repeats and repeats itself so it it, it is you know it, it's wild and and you know living I think we're living at such during such an interesting time, especially with with all that's going on right now outside our doors. You know, mm -hmm. it's about time that America really takes a deep, hard look at itself. Yeah, it's definitely crazy right now. I know a lot of my friends are like texting me. They're like, "Can we just like please FaceTime and just forget about everything that's <laughs> happening?" But like also there's like another part of them that's like, wait, no, just kidding. Like, I want to focus and learn and educate myself on what's going on in this world. And then they're like, wait, no, I give up. And then they're like, no, no, wait, I want to learn. So it's like, it's definitely hard. I feel like for everyone, not just teenagers, like it's a weird time, but also extremely necessary. Right. And I'm like, you know, I, I, I don't know when I became one of these old people that is like, you young folks, but, you know, I am just so impressed by, you know, the younger generations and for inspiration and, and to learn, you know, how new tactics and mobilization and educating and outreach, because I just find it so incredible, all these platforms that you have now, like even this podcast, my God, you know, like, um, I think, I think it's, you know, I applaud your generation for not even like just learning about the change, but like demanding, you know, so, so kudos and, and please keep, keep, keep at it, you know, it get, get people to register to vote who are, um, you know, eligible. Uh, I guess you guys are nearing that soon, huh? I mean, most of the listeners are like between, 14 to 20. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so. get get out the vote and change doesn't happen in four-year increments. It happens every day. So, you know, big or small, you know, kudos to those who are, are you know, making that change on a daily basis. On behalf of my... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> the, the grandpa, grandpa voice. voice. So moving on, um, you've also done another pretty big production called The mm -hmm. Chinese Lady. Um, so this one, I I don't really know much about, um, but it is written by Lloyd Tse, directed mm -hmm. by Mina Morita, and you play the role as yeah. A Tong. So the synopsis is that it is inspired by a true story of the first Chinese woman to arrive on American soil. The Chinese lady follows a Fong Moi after she is brought from China to America and put on display for an eager public yearning to learn of the exotic right. East. So can you tell more tell me more about your role and just like overall this production? Yeah, um so this production happened last year um at the Magic Theater here in San Francisco. Um and uh God, there's so many layers 
to this play that I honestly do not even know where to begin. It's a two-hander, which means there are only two actors for the entire show. Um, and it follows the journey of Afong Moy, um, who was brought over um, like around 1834, I want to say, by by merchants. They're, they were actually selling stuff and wanted like something exotic to kind of bring an authenticity to the to the to the items they were selling so they basically constructed an exhibit where she would just sit in a box um show people how she ate with chopsticks amazing about this was that her feet were bound because that was the the tradition back then that women had bound feet and so these people would pay money to get into this exhibit to watch her eat and walk (laughs) um yeah, and this is based on a real story. And and the character I play, Atong, is also a, a real person who served as her translator. Oh, wow. That's, that's like, strange to hear. I can't believe that actually happened. Right. And so that is, what fascinated Lloyd is that, um, I, I think the story was that he was, like, listening or reading something, and he just came upon, like, one singular line of Afong Mo, this person, Afong Mo, and he what like this is the first chinese woman to ever set foot in america and all she has is like one line (laughs) describing her and so like he he kind of went down this rabbit hole to try and find out as much information as possible about her um and at the time of writing the play there was basically like next to nothing um so instead of trying to like um piece together every bit of her life he basically use this play more of a conjuring of her life you know a lot of what ifs first um is exhibited to the public and it follows her actually to present day oh wow (laughs) kind of like tracking not only afong's life but what afong means you know uh like her her essence what she means to asian america what she means to american history you know uh so it's just so multi-layered and such a beautiful play with such incredible um language and there's like a playfulness and deep pain and yet the 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 show you know ends with hope you know what what it's really asking you to do is like see her see afong Asians and Asian Americans, you know, look deeper and try to understand um, uh, and create like a connection that's beyond the surface. It, it, yeah. It's kind of a hard play to it's... describe. <laughs> you we do. just have yeah, to see really it for do. ourselves. Yeah. I hope it comes closer to like LA so yeah. <laughs> I can watch it. Um, playing the role of Atong, what's like, what do you love about playing this character like what's the most fascinating part yeah uh well you know first and foremost what drew me to this script is really the text um and just like the poetry of the language um i also love this project because i got to work with and um, mina marita who's who's a good friend who who i've worked with previously um and also like the venue the magic theater is like you know uh storied kind of incubator for a lot of new play development here in the United States. So it was like an honor to finally work at this theater. Um, but beyond that, you know, the character of Atong was just so fascinating because he, 
first of all, he was real. <laughs> Second of all, he, you know, <laughs> again, this was just like two people in a play, and I've never done such a small, small cast before where everything really relies on the the exchange between just two actors. So that was a really exciting challenge. Um, Atong himself is just so, like, regardless of whatever kind of personal feelings he may have had for for this exhibit and for other, he wanted to do this job really well. He knew he was on a mission. Um, and as the play progresses, it it's kind of like contextualized within what, like in American history at that point. So, you know, you kind of traveled with them um, through the, the building transcontinental railroad, the opium wars, um, the Chinese exclusion laws, you know, stuff like that. And so it's like, oh, you know, how are Chinese viewed outside of this exhibit? And then how are they viewing her inside this exhibit, you know? So there's that very interesting kind of dichotomy. Um, but then also the, how does it change his attitude towards his job? That's so like presentational and fake, you know? And, and like, what does it mean to be a human on exhibit, you know, a lot of the the most of the the lines are from Afong. It's it's just so beautiful and powerful. It it really like Lloyd in his his play really captures kind of this like, um, you know how an Asian American culture and people, but then also asks like, how much do you really? see us you know <laughs> like going back to this idea of mm -hmm. of being a american is conditional it's like how 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 much do you actually accept us here for who we are for our contributions like do you see that you know do you acknowledge that mm -hmm. um yeah yeah so personal political um resonance was really what drew me to to, to atong's character and, you know, anytime I, I, I do a production or when I do any work, I ask myself is like, what does this, you know, mm -hmm. does this play mean anything? Like, does this play need to be in existence? Yeah. It's hard for me, for my personal mission to like take on any jobs that does not um, encourage people to think outside of their lived experience and that doesn't encourage them to be more empathetic or compassionate. But those are like the projects that I look for and both Viet Gone and uh, Chinese Lady and kind of like any other projects that I tend to say yes to, it, that, that goal is so important. Yeah, that's honestly really inspirational. Well, uh, you know, I one of the reasons I got into performing arts Cause you know, our family, like no one, I'm basically the only <laughs> artist. I'm the, no, I should say, actually everyone in our family is an artist. I'm the only one that has pers pursued it as a, a career. Honestly, like growing up, mm -hmm. we didn't have much representation. Like we grew up Chinese American, you know, broke Chinese American in the Bronx in New York. And, you know, both in our immediate mm -hmm neighborhood and on tv and film and whatever media was available to us back then there was like no one that looked like us you know 
And so I don't yeah. want that for future generations. You know, I want there to be equal footing or I want our stories to be told by us for us um, in, in a way that's respectful and true to our experience. Mm-hmm. So that's what drew me to the performing arts because it, it is this bigger platform to, to educate and to, to create these, uh, these bridges. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Oh gosh. Thank you for doing Thank that. Thank you for watching. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, that's, that's honestly really motivating. And yeah, it's, it's true. We do need more representation yeah. in media. Um, and I encourage anyone who, you know, wants to go into this business or any business, really, it's like, you know, set your own personal values and mission. Um, even if you're taking like a corporate gig, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But then ask yourself, you know, how is this going to change the world? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I... And I'm sorry if, if if I'm like on a soapbox, but I'm just so affected by everything that's happening right now in the world that, it, it, you know, it, it's really important that you ask yourself, not even ask yourself, just look beyond yourself, you know, and make sure that whatever you're doing, there's always an aspect that also betters the world. Um, because you know what? We have one earth. We got one life. We got one body <laughs> and we got to live with each other. You know, yeah. so so try to make this world better for not just you, but yes. everyone else around you. <laughs> yes, praise. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're going to move on to some Q&As. So I asked a couple of my theater friends, and I also asked my theater teacher. So I told them that I was going to be interviewing an actor. (laughs) And um, I said, like, what are some general questions that you might have for him? So um, you can just, like, answer short and sweet, or if you want to elaborate on it a little bit more, that's okay, too. So the first question is, can you describe what it's like to be an actor? That's a tough question because everyone has their own experience. I cannot imagine doing anything else, but I think you really have to have that attitude going into this business because in glamour, but honestly, it is some of the hardest work that you will ever do. Like uh, every day is another job interview. You know, you're hitting the ground reaching out, finding work every day, trying to book a gig. Um, Even when you do book a gig, you know, uh, again, another misconception is that everyone makes a crap ton of money. That's not true. (laughs) There's a reason why they call it starving artists. Uh, (laughs) And so, you know, uh, you have to get really get used to rejection and 
you have to learn how to not take things personally because you never know what, you know, casting directors or producers are looking for. Um, so, you know, while there is a lot of fun and joy to this business, there's also like a, a darker side that's, you know, that really requires a strong will and a strong heart to survive in it. <laughs> um, yeah. A lot of high schoolers automatically assume like actors, you know, you'll become um, Meryl Streep. And <laughs> I don't know. I don't know <laughs> right. why that was like the first name that popped up in my head, but um, you know, they just like automatically have that mindset, but it's, right. it's a lot harder right. than they and, think like, And to be honest, like whether you're uh, pursuing a career in theater or film and television, you know, if you are a person of color, if you are, um, you know, if you have some type of disability, if you are a uh, non, you know, binary or non-gender, you know, yeah, if, if you don't identify necessarily as, as male or female, um, if you're LGBTQ+, um, the opportunities are not necessarily as abundant for you. Um, mm -hmm. Even though you may have like, trained your butt off even though you may be perfect for the job in every other respect, um, you know, you're, you're there, the opportunities that are available to you, not a question of should be available to you, but the opportunities that are available to you are not quite as abundant as, as some, some of your, you know, white male straight counterparts basically. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. And I think there's, you know, a huge movement to change that in the industry. Mm-hmm. It's definitely harsh reality, but we just got to push through right. that. Um, so another question was, what are some tips to help anxiety while performing? Um, you know, I am always anxious. <laughs> it means you are excited. It means you want to be there. Um, means you're ready to do your best. Um, so, you know, don't shy away from anxiety. Um, I, what I like to do is I, I recognize it. I take a lot of deep breaths um, and, you know, I try to, you know, especially for theater, just try to stay in the mo moment and hopefully you have wonderful uh, actors who are sharing the stage with you who can, you know, who you can really connect with and who will take you out of whatever you're feeling as Will Dow the actor and make you feel whatever the character is feeling, you know what I mean? Um but also, I mean, what helps with anxiety is doing the homework, you know, knowing that you've done the best that you could in rehearsals and being as prepared as you can be as a performer leading up to that point, that regardless of what you are feeling, that once you step out on that stage, you're like on autopilot, you know, you're, you know what you're doing. <laughs> um, so, you know, be prepared. Mm -hmm be the best that you can be prior to the moment so that when the time comes, you know, you're ready. That's great advice. Um, so how long does it take uh, to get a job? <laughs> That's, uh, <laughs> it's like your, your first job, your first job, like yeah, after again, college you or know, whatever. It's different for everybody. Um, you never know what someone is looking for. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that I stress for anyone who is thinking of going into performing arts is to like 
never, ever judge your career against another person's career because your trajectories will never be the same. Your talents and looks, unless you're like twins or something, just like not the same. And you do not know. <laughs> it's so like subjective. Like 90% of it is so subjective mm -hmm. that you just don't know. And you can't blame yourself um, for what you book and what you don't book, you know? Again, like just be as prepared as you know you can be. And the rest is just for the most part out of your hands. Yeah. So uh, how long does mm -hmm. it take? Who knows? You know, it could take, um, you know, if they're looking for someone who fits your type and you fit it, you could book a gig right away. But like if you're, you know, if you don't quite, aren't quite what they're looking for, or if you're fighting against like a hundred other people who may have the same qualifications, it might take you a little longer. So, you know, that's not necessarily up to you. Just, just do the work. Yeah. Oh my God. I've been saying that do a lot. Do the lately. work. I realized like <laughs> even my last Facebook post, I was like, do the work in a totally different context, but it's also true. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's Probably. just going to be yeah. your iconic phrase from now. Do the work. Um, so how do you tap into character? Um, sometimes, you know, it's unfortunate that when you see actors on stage or film and TV, you know, oftentimes those actors get all of the accolades when really on any or most to any productions, it takes a village, mm -hmm. you know, the result of so many people helping you reach that point. Um, so, you know, maybe this isn't, the exact question that's asked, but, but I, I do want to say that, you know, that most of the time, you know, you need to, to do a lot of research, you know, I, I like to know as much about that, you know, that time period or, you know, what was happening historically, if it, if it is, or, you know, a play that's based on more or less on real life, I like to like get a sense of the clothing, what they wear, how that might affect their, the way they moved. I, I, dissect the script to death you know <laughs> like i go line by line and line and line i try to find yeah. as many clues hidden in the text or not hidden but just like that the lie in the text um and kind of like ex excavate it and, and and dig out uh everything i need to know about my character um so there's a lot of homework that goes in but but to my earlier point like you know uh, an actor can do a lot of work themselves but it also takes you know the the contributions of you know the director has a lot of input to help you find your character uh sometimes plays will have dramaturgs who provide you with like kind of a lot of information on that that kind of like historical and background information on whether on 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 you know the time period of the play or you know more information about what the playwright was like aiming for stuff like that so like information just provides you a lot of information and content Mm -hmm. that's useful in helping you um, create this character um, design, you know, plays such a huge part in, in tapping into a character. Like the way a costume fits me may mm -hmm. totally change how my character moves, which may totally change the way my character speaks, which yeah. may totally change all my character's intentions, you know? So there are many aspects um, mm -hmm. in creating and tapping into characters. Um, so the final question is, this one's a little bit deep, but it's what life lessons have you learned after 
seeing in multiple productions? Um, from the business perspective, it's just, you know, be you believe in yourself. Believe that you have a voice. Believe that you have something interesting to offer the world. You know, that's why we go into such a public career that's seen by so many people. It's like, we feel mm -hmm. like we have something interesting to share and believe in that. You know, sometimes if the content that you want is not available, you just got to make, create it, you know, lift up the voices of those who are creating it for you and your community. We, we can't rely on existing structures to really and justly our stories. So, you know, create that content or work with folks to create that content. Um, you know, and from the stories that I've been able to tell in, in theater, like this goes back to what I was talking about earlier, like life lessons is like, we are more connected than you think, <laughs> you know, we're, we breathe the same air. We, you know, look at the same mood, the same love, and we have the same wants and hopes and dreams and the beauty of performance and theater and film and TV is that it, it helps us recognize those commonalities. Yes, it also highlights the differences, um, but, you know, we should celebrate that. We should celebrate all of this and, and try to, in, in not just like in art, but in our everyday life, like celebrate each other. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. Thank you. So do you want to uh, plug sure. your social uh, media? Well, you can find out more on my direct website, which is just willdow.com or um, on Instagram <laughs> at, and my hand, the Will Dow. <laughs> I don't know who this other Will Dow in the world is, but he took it. <laughs> so I'm the Will Dow. <laughs> Um, yeah, and apart from that, also make sure to follow Study Break on Instagram at the Study Break Podcast again <laughs> with a the, <laughs> and there you can find trailers before episodes air. And so that'll be the end of our podcast. Thank, Thank you, you so much to my guest for Will for joining me in this episode, and make sure to tune into your favorite podcast app, follow Study Break, and listen to a new episode every Tuesday. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>